How's it and farewell, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Mark Hastick and you're listening to the Birding Life Youth Podcast. This is the start of a new season and an ending of an old one, as I'm leaving the Birding Life Youth Podcast and handing it over to two new youth members who have been co-hosts with me for a while, Gabby Sykora and Joshua Winter. They will be heading up the youth podcast from now on, the podcast where we talk to youth about their adventures in South Africa based on birding, but nature abroad as well. Joshua Winter being an avid bird watcher and an all-round nature lover with a great personality to talk to and lots of stories to tell, and Gabby Sykora being the head of the Young Wildlife Photographers of South Africa with many connections of youth in the region and abroad. So just want to say all the best of luck for you guys and I hope you have many great adventures ahead and tell many stories and connect with lots of people in the birding community and nature lovers of Southern Africa. Till next time, shop shop. Thank you so much, Mark. We are sorry to see you go. We really appreciate everything that you have done for the birding life and the podcast. We hope to follow in your footsteps and fill the very big shoes that you have left behind. Thank you for everything, and I hope that we hear from you again soon. And now, for the very first episode of Season 5 of the Birding Life Youth Podcast, where we have a conversation with the bird enthusiasts at the Onestapurt Bird Club. Hello everyone. Today I am joined by guests from all over the nation and all over the world. We are joined today by some vet students from Onestapurt. Hello everyone. Hello. Howdy. Please tell us who you are, where you're from and how you got into birding first of all. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll get us started. So I'm I'm Ethan Day. I've actually been on the Birding Life Youth podcast before um, with Mark last year. Um, but yeah, I've been I've been birding since a very young age. I think I was 13, even younger. And it was just, you know, my family spent a lot of time in the bush. And it was just one of those inevitable things. You know, you spend time on a game drive. And inevitably, you have those quiet patches when you don't see any mammals. And so you know, I started whipping out the bird book and, you know, it just got like a whole lot more interesting uh, when you're looking at birds. So that's how I really started. Um, yeah, and that's me. Mm, yeah. All right. Uh, I'll keep it going here. Uh, hi, guys. I'm Lane Coble. This is my first time on the podcast. <laughs> um, I got started in birding a little later than Ethan, probably around the age of 17, 18 this was like back in 2015 when I decided to become a, a falconer in the United States. Um, I worked under my sponsor for quite a bit of time, just learning the husbandry behavior and different types of hawks, falcons, and eagles and things like that. Um, that got me really excited about birds, but I didn't become an actual birder keeping a life list, which is mandatory, <laughs> until probably my last year of uni- my first, uni- my second university in like 2020, 2019-ish, um, we kept a, we had to keep a life list for a project and go out birding and record all the things that we saw and where we were and things like that. And it was just very exciting seeing the different diversity of birds. Um, when I first jumped into it, I didn't really distinguish too much between birds, but then once you start doing it, you just see the immense biodiversity that 
is in the is in the bird family there. So that was super exciting, and uh, that's how it officially started. Okay, um, I'm Sai Rusha Gonzami. Um, everybody calls me Sai, and um, I am fairly new to the birding world. I guess I've always, you know, I've always appreciated birds. I've always enjoyed them, but I could never really be bothered to tell the difference between a glossy starling and a birchall starling. So um, my uh, my birding really took off when I got here to OP and I met these guys um, and they were just so passionate and crazy about it. I had to see what the, the buzz was about. And yeah, uh, it's just been so much fun since then. Um, I'm from KZN. I can say where I was from. <laughs> I'm from KZN, um, born and bred on the coast. Uh, and yeah, I'm super excited to be here today. Oh well, yeah, so thank you for coming mm -hmm. on. And finally, Matteo. <laughs> yeah, that's me. Um, hello, I'm uh, Matteo Val. I'm from from Belgium in Europe. Um, when it comes to birding, I'd say for me, it's always been, you know, an interest to just look at them, appreciate the garden birds. Um, then when I did my biology degree, I got a little bit more into it because you surround yourself with people who enjoy it uh, maybe a little bit more than you. So it, it almost becomes infectious. Um, you start to appreciate them more and more. Um, but it only it really took off when I came to South Africa and studied here. Um, it, first in Hatfield, um, I did my weekly visit, visits to the botanical gardens. Um, and I, I kept a list there of what I saw and especially the sounds because you don't always hear them you uh, see them but you hear them often so that's when i started to really appreciate you know, all the aspects of birding and then when i came to op and i met these guys and ethan who had a life list of i don't know how many you had <laughs> yeah. probably three four hundred um yeah that was that was crazy and i'm i was so happy to meet him and he could teach me so much and we he could take us on trips um, and then, yeah, I got to work on my life list as well. I'm so happy I did. Sure. So there's quite the the varied degree here of all you start of all of you, well, of how you all started to get into birding. And oh, here comes the aeroplane. <laughs> we'll just wait for that to pass. Okay, there we go. Um, how how did you decide that? we're going to restart the, or I don't want to say restart, but re almost revive the Honest Deports Bird Club. Well, who came up with the idea and what is your plans and visions for the Bird Club in the future? <clears throat> so I think where it started was the four of us have been going on our own little bird adventures for quite a long time now, about a, a year and a half here. And the best part about birding is doing it in a group and doing it with friends and the amount of sightings that you get. So when we first came here and we all joined the birding group chat, we just kind of noticed that there wasn't much activity in it and there weren't a lot of interactive things with it. It was just kind of a friendly group chat. I mean, it was still enjoyable and people could put birds on there that they needed help identifying and things like that, but we wanted to take it a step further. And we wanted to implement some fun games and interactive things on the group chat as long along with bird IDing. And we wanted to go on trips with more people and get more people excited about birding. 
you'd be shocked to see the amount of birders that flock to veterinary to veterinary science. Yeah, there's a lot. There is there's so many. And just this year when we put the the group chat link out on all the class groups again, we had sixty people sign up in the first day. Sure. And that just goes to show you how many people are actually interested in it. And you know, the more things that you do with the birding club and as a group, the more people are going to get excited about it and the more people that are going to stick around as well. There's quite a diverse group of or levels of experience within the birding group, all the way from people who have never birded before and are just interested to people who are experts and have life lists of 500 plus that are in this degree. So with that diverse range of experience, we get a lot of help and a lot of excitement from the new people that are coming in that, you know, need help identifying between different uh, weavers or larks and things like that that are more difficult. And, you know, it's cool when, when you get to differentiate between two that are so similar like that, then it helps you. It feels like you are gaining bird knowledge there. So the future plans are to be taking trips, do volunteer work, uh, work on some research projects that are here on campus and all over the place, um, atlasing, and just trying to grow an uh, inclusive community here at OP. Okay, yeah, that's that's quite the, the good vision for a bird club. And I must say that you, if you added up all your ages, if everyone in the bird club and divided it to get the average, you guys must have the youngest average aged bird club in the country. Yeah, yeah, nothing, no, no other bird club would even come close. And then yeah. I was doing some watching of Ethan's YouTube videos over the past week. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I saw that yeah. last year you guys went to the Khalakhadi, but you, you left out your dear friend here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was in the Drakensberg looking for bearded vultures, so it's oh, okay, all good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so you didn't leave out your best, your your friend here. You, she just decided not to come with to go to the Drakensberg. So, can you tell us a little bit about yeah. the Khalakhadi? <laughs> yeah, um, I think the Khalakhadi is a, for me, it's a, a magical, magical place, um, and one that I've become very attached to throughout my life. I mean, my parents, my parents love it as well. So we spend a lot of time there. Um, <clears throat> and of course, our September holiday last year, it's a, sh it's a short holiday. It's like a week and a bit, you know, it's not a very long one. It's definitely not, not enough time to warrant these two, you know, paying for very <laughs> expensive tickets to fly back overseas. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I was just pining to get back to the Khalkhadi. So, mm -hmm. You know, we put the idea out there with our other good friend, uh, Jamie, who's not a birder, but a very keen <laughs> pot participant. <laughs> um, uh, but the, the four of us had an absolute blast. I mean, we, we, we started out at Krabi's Falls for the day. Um, and then we spent, how was it, nine or ten, ten nights in the yeah. Kalahari. Sure. And it was, you know, 5.30 wake-ups every day, just spending as much time in the bush as possible mm -hmm. um yeah. yeah so that's that's basically what we did you know every every day we'd wake up super early five five thirty we'd get out there um and we'd i mean we saw some incredible yeah. things some really incredible things oh you know obviously the Khalakhadi is known for its big cats um among sort of among game viewers but among birders it's known for its raptors um oh my word the amount of owls 
Every day, raptors so and owls, goshawks. Go, I mean, goshawks. You see them like they're mm. they're like impala in the Kruger, like I around every corner. And yeah, one of the birds we were yeah. all wanting to really see was a pygmy mm. falcon, and I, we certainly succeeded there. Yeah. So we had a we had a really great trip there. Yeah. Sure. Okay. And then, Sai, can you tell us a little bit about your bedded vultures in the Johannesburg? <laughs> so. Um, how this how this actually happened was uh, like I was saying, okay, yeah, uh, I'm going to Berg for the holiday because it's something that we usually do uh, in Kizren. If you wanna if you wanna spend your holidays well, you will either spend it on the beach, uh, in the bush, or in the Berg. And this was one of the holidays we were visiting the Berg, and it was um, really much at the start of when I got into birding. And Matteo here was like. Uh, the only time I'll be envious of your trip to the Berg is if you see a bearded falcon. And I was like, you know what? You know what? I'm going to go see one. So um, I dragged my family to uh, Giant's Castle and we spent the day just hiking around. Uh, unfortunately, the, the vulture hide was already booked out and there were people who were using it. So we didn't get to go up there. Um, but we did see them flying overhead. And um, I have plans to, well, we have plans to visit again and book out the hide and you know see them properly but yeah. uh yeah that's what went down no. okay now to put the vulture in front of the lens is a is a dream of mine mm. yeah yeah yeah. 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 yeah i was i was lucky enough to see one in golden gate in december mm-hmm. um, yes yeah it was yeah and we were at the top of the mountain and luckily he was flying at eye level so that was quite a nice sighting that I don't think I'm going to get again for a long, long time. <laughs> and then, back to you, Sai. So you mm-hmm. you work for, well, I don't know if I, would you say you work for them? Or you, you work for a bunch of organizations? Yes. Uh, it is very much volunteer work. I don't really yeah. get paid for the stuff yeah. that I do. <laughs> um, but yeah, so... Lessons in Conservation is, is one of them, and LIC is now a fully-fledged NGO um, with mm. our CEO, Dean Carlisle, uh, being at the forefront of all this. He's an amazing person. He's done amazing work. And basically what we do is we identify um, under-resourced schools and under-resourced communities, and we go out there, uh, we go to the schools, and kind of in a classroom setting, we give this... Um, six-week-long program uh, detailing, you know, topics in conservation and ecology and wildlife and um, potential careers that you can have in conservation and just getting the kids passionate about these things because it's not something that they have a lot of access to. Um, So at the end of these, um, at the end of this program, we organize an excursion for the kids to take them to um, national parks and game reserves and basically show them what they've been learning about in real life. Um, and it's it's quite cool because a lot of these kids live in these areas but have little to no access to the wildlife that's there. And to bridge that gap is really, um, it's really a privilege. Uh, and you know, we discuss all sorts of things, but one of my favorite lessons to give is the one on birds. Uh, and we, we basically chat to the kids about, you know, 
um, bird anatomy and, and what makes them able to fly, how they um, migrate and their migratory patterns. And then we do a bit of bird ID. We've got this game where we show them pictures of birds and we teach them how to use, you know, bird guides and binoculars. And it's very cool because they they do know of the birds, but then you play the sound of a Deirdre's cuckoo and you show them the picture together and they're like, ah, oh, okay, that's what that is. So yeah, we do we do, do a bit of birding in LIC as well. So then you work yeah. for or you you you're part of another organization called Simco, am I correct? Yeah, that's that's correct. So Simco is um it's a student run organization here at the University of Pretoria. And what we do is we kind of um we craft this tour along the eastern half of South Africa that caters to veterinary students who have a passion for wildlife and conservation. Um, and we invite international students to attend as delegates. And we basically travel from park to park in South Africa, hearing from conservationists and wildlife vets uh, and doing wildlife work, which a lot of these um, veterinary students don't have access to in their home countries. So, um, yeah. It's very, it's a very fun, fun trip that we've got planned. Yeah, I'm sure. And then I want to yeah. ask you all a few individual questions. Well, firstly, Matteo, you have been studying for many, many years now. Um, mm-hmm. You could mm-hmm. say that by the time you finished veterinary, you're going to have achieved every degree there is in the wildlife spectrum or in the, <laughs> the animal spectrum. Yeah. But you, but you did your your masters, well, your your masters in lion ecology and human human wildlife conflicts in the Meru conservation area in Kenya. Can you tell us a little bit about that? How did that happen? What was it like? I'm assuming you went to Kenya for this. Um, yeah. Yeah, that, that's that's right. So it it started with um, a biology degree first in Ghent University. And then um, I actually wanted to start with um, or specialize in climate change biology and global change. Um, that was like the, the big thing, the hype among the students the first year. But then you, throughout your studies, you gradually develop a bit more. You get to know um, a broader spectrum of biology and what you can do. So I got into more, into, more and more into conservation. And there was a specific program about conservation in Antwerp University. So I moved to another university for my master's. And there I got to meet some nice people and, um, and uh, a professor who works in Kenya as well, in, in, as, well as in India. But um, he offered me a position to do some research uh, in Kenya, central Kenya, um, on line ecology. Line ecology and more specific line diets, prey preferences, and um, all that in relation to human wildlife conflicts. So I got to go for two and a half months to Mary National Park and then a few weeks to Nairobi um, to, do, to do some research there and lab work. Um, I mean, it was just the most amazing experience in my life. And that's when I, I could fully say, I want to stay in Africa. I don't want to do anything else. I want to work and live in Africa. <laughs> yeah. And preferably do something with wildlife conservation. So afterwards, I went back to Belgium, I wrote my thesis, and then there was, there was a whole, you know, empty future ahead of me, because 
empty in the sense that everything was possible, but also there was, it was difficult because it was COVID and I couldn't find any research positions in Kenya or, I mean, I wanted to go to Kenya, but anywhere in Africa, really. Um, so that's when I my brain started thinking, what else can I do to go back to Africa, find something I can also work in conservation. Um, and then I remembered there was a vet, uh, in, in Kenya. Um, we, we didn't really meet. She just came briefly into our room. We were sitting in the, on the couch. I remember distinctly, and she wanted to use our fridge because we were the only people with a fridge there and she wanted to store some samples in our fridge. Um, <laughs> Uh, and then afterwards you would go back and, you know, dart some rhino in the rhino sanctuary. And I was, I wasn't really aware of what was happening at that moment. I just thought, yo, that's so cool. Like we're just sitting on the couch here and she's going darting some rhino. So I put that in the back of my mind. And when I was thinking again about what, what I want to do in, in Africa, that's when I was, I came up with the idea, maybe I can study veterinary science. And, you know, after a long process of finding universities and, and studies, I came to the University of Pretoria. Um, I applied and I got in and it was a, a big, you know, probably the biggest decision of my life to move, like fully move to South Africa, not for a few months. It's not a, an internship. It's not an exchange program. It's, it's a new life. It's a new life. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it was big news for my parents, grandparents. Um, they always knew I wanted to come to Africa, but to actually take this step, it's, it's a big, big decision. So anyway, I, I did take it. Um, I, I still don't regret it. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I, I met some lovely people. I'm able to pursue my passion. So I'm, I'm a very happy man. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's quite the story of how you actually ended up here. And then our other international guest lane, Hello. I told, I, I told you earlier that you were a very difficult man to do research on because there's not i yeah. didn't find much on you out there except that you play some ice hockey but then you told me just now that yeah, you were <laughs> but yeah you told me just now that you are a falconer now i've never come across a falconer before and this it's something that's always interested me so can you tell us yeah. more about it yeah definitely i mean we are quite the rare breed <laughs> it's not the most common pastime that people pick up you know fishing is much easier and so is bird watching but uh i guess this is like the next level of bird watching <laughs> um i mean i don't know if you guys have the book as well my side of the mountain but mm -hmm. it's a it's a pretty common read in earlier earlier ages of school like grade five six sort of thing and you do it for like book reports and stuff but it's a kid that gets put out into the middle of the woods. Um, I think he like crashes from an airplane or something and he has to live out in the woods for a while. And he picks up, um, he picks up a peregrine and he uses that to hunt for him to gain food. And I mean, ever since reading that book as a kid, it was just like the coolest thing you could do is to own a bird of prey. Well, not necessarily own, but take care of a bird of prey and hunt with it. And that just seems so exciting. And, um, my uncle went to one of his class reunions and one of his buddies that he used to go to high school with was a falconer. And then he introduced him to me. And then his name was Dave, Dave Seeger. And he ended up becoming my first sponsor, which is basically someone that teaches you about the sport, um, gives you the information that you need, books, resources, things like that. Because in the States, you have to take a test that is, uh, that is graded by the state government. 
So for each state that you're in, you have to be qualified with the government to own a bird of prey or take care of a bird of prey. Um, it's a very exciting pastime. And when you start, there's only two birds that you can choose from, either a red-tailed hawk or an American kestrel. Now, those are two very different breeds of birding or of uh, falconry birds, because obviously your kestrel is quite small. And then when, so you, when, you're, when you're hunting with these things, you need to get them at a certain weight so that they're in Yarrick, which is uh, like eagerness to hunt. So with a kestrel, it's, I mean, you're talking just like uh, a, a range of like five, 10 grams and they just won't hunt or they're like aggressive and they're hungry and they don't want to hunt. They just want you to feed them sort of thing where a red tail hawk is like, we call it dirt hawking because it's just like a dirty way of, of doing falconry. I mean, these things are as hardy as it gets. They don't really care. They'll just go out and kill a rabbit and come back sort of thing. So that's usually the easiest bird to go with. And um, that was that was the first bird I went with as well. And Lane, I also wanted to ask you, I always see this, this I'm on my Instagram reels, this guy pops up, he's driving along the road in a car and he's got his falcon on his arm and then he sees an invasive bird and he sends the falcon after it to catch it. Do, oh, do you picture that. yourself doing that? one day to get rid of the Indian miners in this country or? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, those, those European starlings as well, right? Like they're, they're incredibly intelligent birds and it feels good getting rid of a few of them. It really does. Um, so that's, that's usually called like dart hawking um, where, so sometimes they throw the bird out the window that's called dart hawking or you can do drive by falconry as well, which is where they just fly off your arm for it. Uh, I would love to get involved in falconry here. Um, the time commitment for the sport is extremely high. Unfortunately, uh, these birds aren't pets. You need to fly them at least two to three hours a day, be with them, be feeding them, be constantly monitoring their weight and health and things like that. So that's the reason I had to kind of drop it for now because uh, in veterinary science, the degree is extremely taxing as well. And I just unfortunately don't have time for it, but someday I definitely, definitely plan, plan to get into it. And I think you guys have quite the array of hawk species that could take out a few miners. Oh, well. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But, uh, uh, quite a big coalition of falconers to get rid of the miners. <laughs> um, and then Ethan, so you from the coast, the, the Western Cape, and you were telling me earlier that you've joined an aqua the what the Ornestaput Aquatics Club. Can you tell us a little bit about yes. that? Yeah, so I mean being being from the sea and now being in Pretoria where the sea is way too far. Um yeah, I just I thought it would it would be a, a cool thing to get involved in. And actually I'm I'm really, really glad that I did because it's a it's a club that involves um it's an academic club so we, we've got guest speakers we've got a lecture series specifically on aquatic veterinary medicine um we've got uh you know relations with with tilapia farmers so we give students an opportunity to look into you know aquaculture as an alternative to you know mass you know deep sea fishing and of course that is such a, a pertinent issue at the moment um and even at, at Honest to Put, we've got a little uh, Nile tilapia breeding uh, setup 
um, also just basically a little a mini look into in tilapia aquaculture in South Africa. Um, it is definitely a, a, an option for me going forward. Obviously, we, we're all in third year currently, so we're still quite far away from having to make a decision as to where we want to practice, what we want to do when we practice. Um, plan A for me would be wildlife, but plan B would be to get involved in aquatic veterinary medicine, be that in a, in a conservation setup or, uh, you know, to help out in, in aquaculture, in fish farms. Um, I think it's an, in, an industry that's only going to grow um, as we, as we start moving away from, you know, lots of, you know, open water fishing. I think one of the things that people are looking at to make um, seafood more sustainable is by farming it. And so I think it's it's only going to grow. There's only going to be more opportunities in it, and it's definitely something that excites me. Um, and I'm very very happy that I that I've made that choice to to get a bit more involved and to learn a bit more. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It does sound very interesting. I mean, it's not every day you come across a fish fit. Um... No, no, no. Very few. And fortunately enough, we we have one of South Africa's best working with us both. In, you know, in a formal capacity as a lecturer here at the university, mm. but then also as sort of like a mentor to us at the Aquatics Club, um, Dr. Gillian Taylor. Okay. Um, and she's, oh, she's a fantastic resource, a vat of, a vat of knowledge. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been, it's been really great working with her. Yeah. Okay, sure. And then I wanted to ask you all, so I have seen... Um, veterinary operations on birds and that and it looks very difficult would any of you ever consider going into avian veterinary i may be the only person <laughs> on campus <laughs> interested in becoming a poultry vet <laughs> um it's it's just not the the typical thing that draws people mm. uh, i grew up with chickens for my okay. whole life um i used to play with them as a child like they were they were just like a dog to me. I would go in, give them hugs, pets, feed them, walk around with them. I just, I love the things. They, they got so much personality to them. I'm definitely interested in getting into poultry, but on top of that as well, it would be exciting to, uh, while practicing falconry, be able to work on raptors and do raptor rehab as well. OP actually just did one of the first ever or was it the first ever i think it might have been the first ever the first yeah. ever beak transplant on a vulture here and i mean that was just crazy news to us and op is is amazing at coming out with these firsts for the veterinary mm -hmm. field this place has some extremely qualified and talented vets and we're lucky to work with them but that sort of thing excites me for sure yes you know? yeah no I no, I was gonna say me. Me personally, I think, I think if if you get involved with aquatic or even wildlife veterinary, you know, there's there's birds wherever you go. If it's in the bush or if it's out at sea, um, and if you if you involved in veterinary in the conservation aspect of veterinary science, it's gonna it's inevitable that you're gonna have a bird or two coming in that needs your help. Um, we've we've done some. I think yeah, you were there for the. We did a post mortem on a on a ground hornbill. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's, there's definitely opportunities to learn more about it here. Um, it's just that it's not, it's not a very common thing to go into, no. you know, avian veterinary medicine alone, unless you want to be involved in the poultry industry. And even then 
we don't get many opportunities for poultry classes. It's no, maybe no. a small section within like nutrition. I know in fifth year we have a, a poultry, but it's poultry and pig, poultry and porcine class. So poultry hardly gets any any light of day here, which is kind of a shame. No, it's a big shame, yeah. Because it's one of the one of the farming practices that leaves the smallest footprint, carbon footprint in in the world. I think only uh, fish farming. Yeah, fish farming is a smaller <laughs> one. So, I like There's so much use in the poultry farming industry that, and it, it's it's growing bigger and bigger every year, where more people switch to white meats over red meats and things mm. like that. It's it's easier to conduct the farming. It's in smaller places. You get a higher meat yield. The food to conversion ratio is higher. It's 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 such a, a huge industry that I think the we will be getting more poultry vets in the future and mm. i think it'll be deserving of its own formal class very soon yeah okay sure yeah that, that's quite interesting and then before we finish up here i must ask in the background i see what looks like a puff adder skin and drawings <laughs> of and, and drawings of what appears to be some antelope um how, yeah. how did how did the puff adder skin come about Oh, um, I was hoping you wouldn't ask that. No, it was actually given to me. It was given to me by one of my aunts, um, who had this massive puff adder in her garage. She saw it. She ran out screaming, and she called mm. my uncle to go and then sort it out. Um, I don't think she was expecting for him to to use a spade. Uh, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this was many years ago before before I. Yeah, I think I was I was very young. If I had anything to do with it, it would have been relocated. Yes, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now it's a trophy. <laughs> Don't call it. <laughs> that's, that's a very typical American thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we pay big bucks for one of those things. I don't know. Oh my word. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> well, well, I'll sell it to you if you want. <laughs> <laughs> well thank you so much for all coming on the podcast i really appreciate it and it's going to be really exciting to see where you guys take the op bird club and hopefully i will join you guys there one day so yeah thank you for coming Absolutely. on yeah, we look forward to seeing you seeing you here very soon